Hello and welcome to another episode of Cripple Stump. And for our first episode of the year, we have yet another guest, and the guest will introduce himself now. So, Neil, over to you. Uh, hello there. My name is Neil Bell. I'm an actor from Manchester. I've been acting about 20 years. Uh, I'm also a, uh, I do, I write poetry, I perform poetry as well. So, uh, just to kick, kick us off, what does acting mean to you? Well, God, well, um, the, the only thing uh, I fat I'm qualified to do, um, it was the, um, it was the only thing that I could do at school. And um, suddenly I was getting praised and I was getting asked to do things. And, I, and suddenly I could, I was, I was achieving something because I was always not there at school. You know, I was either physically actually not there because loads of us used to wag it all the time, which is shocking. Or I was kind of just an invisible pupil, you know, who didn't, who just got under the radar doing the minimum that I had to do, which is an awful way to go through your school years. You know, you're wasting your time. But luckily, uh, at the last the last year, I don't know if it was the fourth year or the fifth year, we never had a drama lesson. We never had a drama group or anything like that. But the school decided to put a play on, which is something they never did. Um, and I got a part in this play and suddenly I could do it. And, I, and I, once you're on stage, you know, when you're getting a few laughs and you can time you're timing it so you're, you're playing with the audience, you know, I could I could do it. And thank God, I could, you know, I found something that... And ever since then, I was interested in it. But what it means on a sort of more profound level, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, obviously, there's a kind of... There must be a kind of quite a deep psychology behind it, you know, because you're taking on these other roles and that. Um, and then, of course, as you get into the profession, it also becomes, the, you know, it's the business end of it as well. And which parts you should take and why and, and um, you know, dealing with all the other side of it, dealing with agents and, and uh, other things that aren't even the performance, bait, you know, aren't even anything to do with the performance. Um, so what do you don't know? I mean, what, I think what it means to me is you, you're, when you're at the point where you're doing it and you're on the horse, so to speak, you seem to be at a, a kind of nirvana then, you know, you're in a, you're in a good place then. You're in a, you, you reach an equilibrium where you're you're performing um, and and you're able to and you're able to do it. So there's certainly a I do love I do love that place whether or not it's when someone says action on a camera or somebody or I'm on stage. You know the very different disciplines though acting for both, but in both of them you're at a place where you fun you you're functioning. You know you're functioning and and um, it's a, it's a certain skill and it's also a sort of a talent as well. Um, and there's a real pleasure, you know, there's a real pleasure to be drawn from it. I'm just, yeah, I mean, I don't know whether any of this answers your question. And oh, I've honestly you, never really thought. Sorry, would, go on. Would you say you have got a talent then? Well, yeah, I would. And, you know, and I'm not I'm not the only one, um, but um, I think you do need a certain, I think you need an empathy, you know, I think you need a certain empathy to be able to do it um, yeah. with other people. I think and most people could get their way through a performance or a scene um, and be uh, with a certain level of competence. But I think there's certain actors that are always good and have, and have got a certain gravitas or 
as Oliver Reed used to say, they make they, they make their air, the air bend around them. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm not saying I always do that with Elmy performances, but I think uh, I like to think I'm in that area. <laughs> you, know? you, you grew up in Oldham, if I'm not mistaken, right? Well, Failsworth, yeah, I was born in Oldham, but in, in the mater- actually literally born in the maternity ward in Werneth Park. But I grew up in Failsworth. Uh, the reason I make the distinction is it's, it's officially part of Oldham, but really it's a it's a Manchester uh, Manchester's the mothership when you when you're from Failsworth. And I, and I wanted to ask you about uh, you know growing up where you grew up and you you say before that you know the school never put plays on and. How, discovering at that young age that acting was something you could do, yeah, uh, yeah, was it a case of like, oh, that that's your mates would take the piss out of you for it, or you know, uh, did you not? Did you think it was a real avenue that you could go down, or was it because yeah. well, when you grew up, in, people would take the piss? Right. Well, listen. I mean, anyone who grew up, I was, I was, um, I was at secondary school in the eighties, and I, you know, I come, I'm a child of the seventies, and anyone who, who grew up in a comprehensive system, um, in this country, during you, it was a kind of pecking order of bullying. <laughs> you know, yeah. the the piss was took out of you for everything. And funnily enough, when I did start acting out, people stopped taking the piss. You know, I suddenly had the respect of some of the teachers and some of the kind of um, Harder lads, you know. Yeah. A lot, I suddenly, I, I suddenly had a bit of status, and and that's not just because I was acting. It's because when you find something that you can do, and you get a bit of confidence about yourself, yeah. and people stop taking the piss out of you. It doesn't. That's not just acting. That's anything. Yeah. You know, once you've got a certain amount of self possession, yeah, um, you find that it, it, you, you, you people people taking the piss out of you doesn't matter as much anyway, and they don't. Um, they don't do it as much anyway because it's not having the same effect because you're not as bothered and you can yeah. you, you're suddenly in a different mindset. So I think that was an important factor in it. What held me back because I didn't um, I didn't have a professional job until I was thirty years old. Yeah. Um, because I, I, when I left school, I didn't. There was no. I had no reference point in in my family or in my immediate life that. What made me think I could do it as a job? Yeah. So I left school and I did go to performing arts college, and that was where I got my qualifications because I left school with, with nothing. Like yeah. I say, we didn't do drama, yeah. and I wasn't interested in any other thing, and I didn't go to the lessons very much. And when I came out, I literally had no qualifications at yeah. all when I left school. Yeah. And that's partly my fault, partly to do with me kind of um, my upbringing, and also to do with. The, the school itself was just a huge comprehensive school, you know, that didn't, you know, you had to kind of fight your corner all the time. And if it was easier, it was easier for me to just kind of stay under the radar and not yeah. really do much. I could, I found I could work my way into a place where I could get away with that, you know, so that's how I spent that time, which is not good. And when yeah. I look back at that, I cringe about that because it's a waste, you know, it's a waste of time. Yeah. Um, but it took me a long time. I went to performing arts college at Oldham, Higginshaw. It was a great place um, in that it was quite unique and it was off from the, the main campus of the college. It was up on uh, Shaw Road in Higginshaw. Not there anymore. It's been incorporated into the main college now. Or you, I think it's a university now, Oldham. Um, 
and we were on our own in this little building so of course it's great you know suddenly you're out of the school because I used to school used to I used to think school was like a prison you know I couldn't yeah. I couldn't bear being in the building yeah. but um suddenly at the college you can you call the teachers by the name yeah and um, you know you've, you've got any you've got a direct interest in the things that you're doing you, obviously you're smoking I don't smoke anymore but you yeah. you, you know you're smoking and you you you're taking charge of your own life sort of thing. So it was a different environment. And I found that in that environment, I could learn. So I got, um, I got me, me uh, well, A-levels. I don't know, they still called A-levels. I got me A-levels then. Um, and then suddenly, you know, I had academic qualifications, which I didn't, I didn't have when I left school. Um, but it's this work ethic thing. All my family are the same. You know, you get a job and that's you. So I, I wasted a lot of time going from job to job yeah. round about that age. And I didn't go to university till I was much later on. I was like 24 when I applied. So in in in, in, in terms of students, you, you're, like, you're like an old man. Um, because when you get there and everyone else is 18, it seems like you're really old. Um, and, and but unfortunately, when I got to university, um which was a beautiful place in Totnes in Devon. I went to Dartington University. It was a fantastic, weird art college. It was great for, for a lot of reasons. But my mental health took a massive dive, you know, for, for, for a few different reasons, really. There's never usually just one. And I was terribly depressed. And I didn't realise at the time, you see. And that, I, I mean, I was in that funk for a long time, you know. I mean, I would say that I've only just kind of, got an angle on that in the last 10 years yeah. I'm 50 now 51 yeah. um, and I didn't realize at the time what was happening but that was another factor that st- that sort of slowed me down really from from yeah. having confidence I mean com- com- never mind confidence for acting but confidence to go in a, go in a shop or yeah. you know it was really up and down and it, and it really affected me and I didn't know I didn't know what was happening uh, I knew something was wrong yeah, and unfortunately, when I went to seek help, uh, nobody—I <laughs> mean, there's a lot of the teachers at this university. It was a great place, but the teachers were more flaky than the students. You know, it was a very uh, oh right, okay, it was a very avant-garde, a very avant-garde environment, which was brilliant. It was brilliant, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't very anything of any practical use. You know? Yeah, and I, um, I, I, you know, I went to the I went to the doctor, and uh, yeah. as such as it is in in um, North Devon. And um, I sought medical help, you know, because I knew something was happening. I knew it wasn't normal to be completely devastated for like one day and not be able to speak and then be kind of a bit hyper and a bit weird. And, uh, you know, and, and in between all that, you have, you've got these horrendous kind of um, anxiety attacks and, of course, you're self-medicating. And this was this was Britain in the 90s. So, yeah. you know, there was... It was a lot of hard drugs around, you know, yeah. and everyone, you know, hair drugs were part of the culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, which again was good in part, but it it, it doesn't help your mental stability. Yeah. Um, and that so that held me back, and and it was the time when things like Prozac were being dished out like sweets. Oh, right. um, okay. So I had I had a bit of a spell with that stuff, and I, I'm glad that I, I as soon as I started down that road, I recognised that it was not going to help me. It's an awful place to be in when you, it makes you kind of permanently detached. You're not, this was my, I must admit, this was my response to it. I know that other people, it helped, it's helped other people. I don't think Prozac is even legal anymore, but there is other, other versions of it that have carried on going. 
Yeah. And some of them are highly addictive, you know, and people have ended up, they can't, they're frightened yeah. to come off. Um, so I went through that, but thankfully I didn't get embroiled in, in that side of things. And I managed to come out of that, you know, within a space of a couple of months because I knew you could tell straight away that whatever that was doing to me, I didn't want that either. Yeah. Um, so it, it, to cut a long story short, I come back to Manchester around um, 97, something like that. Yeah. From, um, from art school, I'd, uh, I came out after the second year um, to come and do part of my third year back in Manchester because Manchester is where it was happening at the time. But um, I, never, I never went back. So I am a, a classic art school dropout. All right. Um, I'm, you know, and um, I was I was 30 years old. I saw an advert for, um, I did all sorts of jobs. I was working on the buses. Um, what was good was I got a job working at a place called Idea, which is now the Deaf Institute in Manchester. But at the time yeah. it was a digital, a digital art laboratory. Really, right. again, another another very avant-garde. The great thing about going to Dartington and art school is that it opened my eyes to all this other side of the life, you know, avant-garde art and, and digital art and culture that um, you wouldn't see if you were on a more um, straighter drama course. Yeah. Art forms, you know. Um, and there was money for money around for that sort of thing at the time as well. So this place was funded on and off. So that's where I kind of met me, me kind of second lot of, family in the 90s was when I come back to Manchester was uh, through that place that we called it the Dardy because it's an acronym an acronym of um, Deaf and Dumb Institute which is what it was an old Victorian yeah. uh, Deaf and Dumb house it's got that written over the door yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. called the Dardy obviously because it sounds a bit like sounds like an artistic movement Dardyism yeah. so um, that and then I got I got my first professional engagement at the old uh, green room as it was then oh right El yeah but it was my first paid acting job when when the green room was more of a theatre. It became more more known as an arts venue and yeah. non theatre, but more towards the more sort of avant garde conceptual art rather than theatre. But it was when it was a theatre, the best theatre in Manchester for my money. I saw some of the best plays in there that I've seen anywhere in the world, you know. And so um, I got my first job there. Yeah, Jerry Potter. Um, he was a, another, he's still around, he's still a poet, he publishes, publishes stuff. Uh, he was the a resident theatre director and writer at that theatre at that time, and he wrote a play that was commissioned by The Green Room, and I got the lead in that. So I was 30 years old, and um, that was my first paid acting job, and I thought, brilliant, this is it, I've done it. So there was, um, you know, you work in 10 till 5, 5 days a week, for four weeks and you know you've got your wage you're all right you don't have to do so any staff bar work or anything like that and I, I, I'm a professional actor I thought this is great and it was through that um I got another play um called Crying in the Chapel which is another day um what do they call it a prem another pre world premiere at the Yard Theatre just down the road from here in Hume and through that I got an agent um and it kind of, kind of became a professional actor then. So then I started getting put up for TV work and things and you start earning better money. So you're, you're having to do less and less other work, bar work and stuff that yeah. you have to do all the time when you're acting. You know, so, um, yeah, it came up through that way. I mean, it was always my destination, you know. It just took, <laughs> it took me a while to, uh, to get on board. Yeah. And I just wanted to ask you, like... Uh... You know, coming from where you've come from, there's probably loads of kids like that. What advice would you give to those kids or those people 
No, it was, well, it's it, a good industry, you know. You always used to get warned off it. Um, I mean, it is up and down. Don't get me wrong. I'm out of work at the moment, and I'm looking for. I know I need work, um, but you, it, 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 it's it's hit and miss. Like any, but most industries now are like that in this country. And and if you did have an inkling to go into it, it's a it's a it's a strong industry. The TV industry in this country is strong, and we're getting we're getting quite a good film industry back as well. Yeah. It's not like it is in Australia or Canada where it's actually seen as an industry like steel or coal or anything else, and it's subsidised properly by the government and there's proper regulations. Unfortunately, it's not like that in this country. But there's a lot of um, films made just mainly because of all this explosion in streaming sites and home home entertainment. There's, there's a lot of opportunity for actors um, that probably more than there was 10 years ago. So... Um, what I'm saying is don't be afraid. There's a lot of opportunities and there's, there's a lot of work around. It's hard. You're up yeah. against a lot of people. Yeah. But if you want to do it and you get the job, it's the best job in the world, you know. Yeah. So you, you, it's worth taking a chance on it. There's no yeah. two ways about it. Um, and we need more working class actors um, because now that the, there's, there's not so much support for education, um, you, you know, you're talking about loans and things like that. It's becoming how it was in the 40s and 50s again, where it's more middle class and the high income end of people who are going into the profession. And um, not only is that reflected in the cast members who you see on the stage, the visual, but it's the people who are making the decisions, you know, the people who are commissioning and um, stuff and directing stuff and producing stuff, you know, there's that's where you need to see your representation, not just of working class people, but yeah. also of minorities and, yeah. and um, other, other under, underrepresented people. People make the mistake of thinking, you know, if you, if you shove a few different coloured faces and, and into the cast, then you're doing your job of representing people, but it needs to be upstairs where people are represented, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. I can, te- I can testify to that for the first time. Yeah, right. You know... Uh, and it's it goes a lot deeper than what you see on the screen, you know, yeah. or hear on the radio or whatever. And but my God, there's so many things I could ask you about. But I was going to ask you, like, there's something you said to to me earlier, and something that popped into my head was about the work of discipline and how 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 do you have the discipline to be an actor. Because if your life's all over the place and then you find this one thing you can do and then you need to find discipline where you you probably haven't had it in the past. How yeah. how yeah. do you make yourself disciplined to be an actor? Because you need, you need discipline to be an actor. Yeah, you need you need to absolute discipline. And if you need if you want any kind of longevity in the yeah. game, you have to have it. When you start off and you're younger. You tend to take the kind of George Best approach where yeah, you know, yeah. you're out on you're out all yeah. night, but you t- your yeah. talent and your youth pushes you through. But that yeah. does not last long. Yeah. Um, I was trained in, in the theatre. I was never I'd never been on camera or anything uh, yeah. when I started in the job. Um, I've never been on a film set. I've never been on a TV. It's all training in the theatre. So when I first went onto a TV set and I did my first scene, I think it was with Joanne Froggett. Um, in a, a program called Stretford Wives, a, a Red Productions thing from years ago. Yeah. Um, I thought, I honestly thought when I'd done my first scene, 
people were going to applaud. I thought everyone was going to clap. <laughs> and of course, nobody, nobody gives a toss. Everyone just starts winding up the equipment, walking yeah. off. So it was a, it was a hard lesson. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is, when about well, because I learned in the theatre, I got that discipline. Because in theatre, you rehearse, you rehearse eight hours a day, every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And anything around that, any kind of bullshit around that to do with whatever you want to do, is it can, you can do what you want. But for those eight hours, it's like being in church. They are holy. Yeah. And there's, and there's a hierarchy. You know, you've got the director, you've got the cast. Yeah. If it's a big sort of legit production, you'll have a lead actor, then you'll have the other actors. Yeah. So you learn this kind of discipline, which while you're in the realms of the rehearsal room, that is sacrosanct. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a little bit like being in church. A film set's like that as well, and a TV set. But the trouble is, once you do go into film and TV, you've not got that any much anymore. Some productions, like, you know, I've worked with Mike Lee, and he will work with you for five months leading yeah. up to the shoot. Yeah. So you do get that again. But most TV and film, you turn up on the day to do it, and that's the first time you'll see anyone. It's the first time you'll see the director or anything. So you have to be able to do the work yourself on your own. Yeah. And I was glad I did it through the theatre route because I had that discipline to, to be able to learn lines and run them and create scenes in my head. So I had something to bring to the table when I go onto the um, onto the set. They might change it all, you know. They could change it all around and want you to do something else. But as long as you're coming in firing, you know, you know, you're all right. You've got you've got something you can work with. Um, so you'd absolutely need, um, yeah, to be able to. Obviously, you know, things like lines and under, yeah. having an understanding of your character and understanding of the story are things that you, that go without saying, you know, yeah. for, for, for some actors and that. And you have to have that discipline of getting them in. Um, yeah. And I don't know. If, you, if, you be, if you're on a, more, a, a, like a traditional acting course or you're at a drama school, then that'll be, that'll be drilled into you. Um, so you're okay. Not to say that, you know, not all actors go the drama school route. I mean, I didn't technically I went I did two years A-level drama uh, and then I went to an art college which you know was doing sculpture and music and all sorts yeah. of things um, so I, I didn't really come through the, the, the drama school route yeah. but I did enough of that to to realise that that, um, that you do need to have your own little methods and your own little um, little disciplines of getting of, of getting a character up and running so that by, by the time you get to the point of rehearsal or the point of filming you've already got a workable a workable thing yeah. going on uh, and it is a good discipline it's good because actors are kind of seen as not as seen as being the opposite i think yeah people yeah, are just yeah. thinking kind of, we ponce about the place you know yeah. kissing each other and then when and then and then you know somehow as if by magic this performance turns up yeah. and to be honest some actors are a bit like that but yeah. um the good actors, the good actors do the work, you know. The good, the good actors um, will put the work in. You've, you've got to put the hours in. I, I do anyway. I mean, this is it. The background I come from, the working class idea. I mean, you can't. You, you only get what you only get out what you put in. You know, it's very rare that um, anyone from, from my kind of background ends up ends up just being given a load of. You know, you do meet some actors who are in a great position. And they've um, they get they get first choice of all these projects. You know their name attached to a project will sell it, so they get given this part. But when you look at the performance, they're not that good. Yeah, yeah. Beyond the hype and beyond the, the face and beyond somebody saying the name like that on the screen, you know, yeah. beyond that, if you look at what they're doing, it's pretty pedestrian. 
yeah, you know, yeah. get some actor who nobody knows, but he was he was great, and he's working their ass off somewhere in some play, you know, in Stoke or yeah. you know, as as a um, as a background artist in some TV show or in a film, and they're really working it, you know, and it's yeah, um, yeah. You, you, you've got you've got to put the work into to to keep to stay in the game. I think you know. Do you, do you ever feel like you have ever have imposter syndrome, like when you get on set and you feel like shit? I don't belong here. Or like it gets worse as you get older. Does it? Absolutely, you absolutely get it. I was thinking about this the other day. I can't remember what was happening. Yeah. I was getting this awful imposter syndrome about it. Yeah. I mean, all the time, every time you've not been working for about a month, basically, really? you get it, you get it really bad. And um, you, you you can sometimes get it. <laughs> I used to get it at read-throughs when you go into a job and you'd see famous people you'd only ever seen on TV or in film. They'd be sat at this table and I'd walk in and <laughs> you just think someone's going to go, come on, come on, son. You know, you know you don't belong in here. You do yeah. get it totally. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I've earned me, I've earned me stripes now. But yeah. you, you, um, you get it when you've not when you've not worked for a bit. You get this feeling that you're never going to work again, and that suddenly you're just yeah. back. You're back to where you started. That's a weird situation. I mean, that must happen in other professions as well. But yeah, with acting, you do. I mean, because when you you're doing a job, everything's happening around you. It's great. You're mm. on top of the world. Then you get the money, you know, you're getting paid because it's, it's good pay. This is another thing I would say mm. to anyone who was thinking of starting it, but they come from a humble means. It's good money. Well, um, I mean, and it, and it needs to be good money as well because you might do a job, you get a decent fee, but then you might not work for three months, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, plus you've got to pay a shed load of bloody tax, which is like what I just done. So um this is you know so um it, it kind of evens out over the year but it is good money and there's certain people like you know that I'm not gonna earn that sort of money in any other job. Yeah. In the space of 24 hours I can earn you know I can earn a good maybe a couple of months wages yeah. like you know um and it'll have to last me a couple of months as well. It's another thing you need to learn with it. You have to work out how you work with your money as well. Yeah. Um but yeah, what was the question? <laughs> yeah, I was just asking you about imposter syndrome. And yes, that's right. Yeah. The, the other thing yeah. I wanted to ask you about was, uh, you know, the, what do you do? You feel like you've arrived now? Do you ever feel as an actor you've arrived and, and you've cracked it and you've made it and that's it? That, that's you set for life, or does it just go from job to job to job? Yeah, well, it definitely goes from job to job, and I know this because I've, you know, I've spoke to. Um, I know, you know, I know all I do is a friend of Harvey, Harvey Keitel, and he's saying, "Oh, I met Harvey last night and um, the other night." Yeah, he said he's he said he just wants to know where his next job's coming from. You know, he he wanders around Manhattan like a kind of tramp, Jesus Christ. Like a, um, and so you never set. I mean, let's face it, money wise, you know. Yeah. You, you you could I mean someone like you know if you did like the if you did four James Bonds then yeah you're gonna have to be pretty careless yeah. to, to, get, to get through that money yeah yeah you know because you, know, you know you're talking about you're talking in the millions aren't you I've certainly never been in the position where money wise I thought that's me set now I've yeah. never unfortunately got to that yeah. level with money but um in terms of sort of bankability, employ employability. I think when I did 
when I worked with Mike Lee a, a couple of years ago on Peter Lou, he dragged me into the Premier League, you know, of, of acting because the um, the method and the style that he acted and the, and the sort of the size of the part and the the yeah. um, the people who you're working alongside, you know, the the, yeah. the, um, the crew like the the departments, the camera and the makeup and and everybody, art department, they're all the best people in the world. You know, these are, these are the absolute cream of the film profession. Uh, And I'm up there alongside and doing my part. And I I knew that acting wise, once I'd worked with him and got through it and it's a tough, um, it's a tough process with him. Yeah. You have to be good. And he picks you because he thinks you can get through it. Yeah. You know, not you know, he, he he picks he picks you not just because he thinks you're right for the part, but because he, you'll be able to deal with it. Because yeah. uh, it's it's tough, you know, it's quite tough the way he worked. So you um, I, once I got through that, I thought, well, I can I can literally work for anyone. I could hold my own with any actor and any director now. Yeah. So I I, knew, I feel like I've arrived in that respect. Yeah. Um, but certainly not money wise. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, um, you know, it's, I'm very, I'm still very up and down. I'm not, I'm, you know, I've not had a bad couple of years considering what's been going on around the world. Yeah. Um, but I'm all, you're always got one eye, one eye on on the uh, on the fact that it could all money wise, it could all disappear up its own ass at any moment. And the first time I, I ever became aware of you as an actor is when you did uh, Shane Meadows' Dead Man's Shoes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So could I ask you about working with Shane Meadows? And then we go through the directors like that. Yeah, well, I mean, I knew who he was. I remember we went to the, I went to the first audition. Yeah. A lot of the lads there didn't know who he was. Um, yeah. I say lads because it was only lads where, where I was because they were auditioning for the part of this gang in this film. yeah. yeah. And so it was like about a hundred lads, all sort yeah. of yeah, from about in the twenties up to like the fifties. Yeah. And um, because when was that? It was like years ago. First started, first started the process probably about two thousand and one, two thousand and two, yeah. something like that. Because yeah. it, it was a long process that, um, and I I knew who it was because I watched um, I'd watched. 24-7. Yeah. And I've and I'd also not long before the auditions, I'd seen a little documentary about him. And, 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 and so I knew who he was, I knew who he was. And I knew he was an interesting British director. He wasn't the normal run-of-the-mill uh, person you meet, uh, you know, from on day-to-day auditions. Yeah. So I was determined that I was going to make a bit of an impression on him. And it was all totally um improvised, the right. audition. So he would give us scenarios. It was a bit like an exercise in college. Really. He'd give us scenarios and ask us to work through it. And what he was giving us was bits of the plot from Dead Man's Shoes. Like, we yeah, didn't yeah. know that at the time, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't even called Dead Man's Shoes. It was called The Skull. Was um, it? Yeah, that was the working title, The Skull. That was what was on all the um, the paychecks and all the all the any any literature that you got through or anything like that. Maybe, maybe this episode should be called The Skull. The Skull. <laughs> yeah, it was, and then they called oh, it. They were call it... <laughs> it's Someone episode. should make that film, The Skull. Oh, it's already is though, isn't it? One called The Skull with Peter Cushing. Yeah, maybe, but I'm saying <laughs> this episode of the podcast should be called The Skull with Neil Bell. <laughs> brilliant, yeah, brilliant. I could, yeah, you need to do like a um, 
a visual. Yeah. I'm looking a bit, I'm looking a bit like a skull on this screen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so was it? So he, he, improvi- he improvises. So what he, he um it was a long, prolonged project. And then we finally we finally whittled it all down and everyone met. It was great I'm meeting people like Joe Hartley. And uh, I'd met her. See, I'd met her at auditions for other stuff as well. I met her for an audition for 24-hour party people. So oh, I kind of yeah. knew her. Um, I didn't know Stu, Wolf and Dunn. I didn't know any of the other lads, really. Um, and I certainly didn't know Gary Stretch till we got going. And um, we, he, he whittled us down and then we all sort of, we were, we were due to, start the film. There was no script. There was nothing. There was no script. There was nothing that he gave us. There was no script existed. And um, what he had written down was a, was just a scenario, a synopsis of the story. No lines, no script. So he kind of, he works in a similar way to Mike, so Mike Lee, but he does it in a lot more of a protracted way. It's a lot shorter. Yeah. Um, is that the right word? Protracted or is it the opposite? But he, do, he does it in a lot, it's a lot quicker. So what Mike will do in, Five months. Shane will try and do in about three three days. Yeah. It's a similar idea. Yeah. And um, he he also the difference is Mike with Mike you never improvise on camera, where or very very rarely. But with um, with Shane there's there's room to do that. Um, so he's good because he's 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 not like any other director. I mean he's quite fiercely working class as well. I think he's got a bit of traveller um culture in his family yeah. actually. I think part of his traveller I think his dad on his dad's side I think the traveller so he's uh, he's interested in that way but he's not coming from this kind of Oxbridge rada sort of side of the, the game. Yeah. Um and he's not come through sort of TV or anything like that. Um and he's incredibly funny. Um you know, he's constantly, he, 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 he works on this level of, he's, he's using quite a dark gallows humour all the time to get him through, to get through the day. Very hands-on, he's very, you know, you're, you're with him. Once you're on a film, you're with him personally. Like, you know what I mean? You're not, some yeah. directors, you'll never, you'll see him on the set and then you won't see him again. Or, you know, the, sometimes you don't even see him on the set. <laughs> so yeah. I've just done um, a couple of things down at Pinewood and you did, you, you know, someone, someone sort of rang me. Probably, um, It'd be Pinewood, hopefully. Um, you see him. You don't. I didn't even see the director. They kept sending somebody else over from another set where he was directing, yeah. um, which is bizarre. Some of the situations. But with Shane, you're very much part of his gang once you're on. Um, yeah. And he, what he does is he he he, um, he was trying going through as a going the last the day before we went on to do the to do the to start the film. Yeah. Um, he got rid of one of the lads. Um, who, who was the lad who was originally playing the part of Sonny. Yeah. Seeing the original idea of the skull, I don't think you'll mind me saying this. I think it's common knowledge now. I mean, it was 20 years old, 20 years ago, and I don't think I'm giving away any secrets or anything. I don't want to, you know, I wouldn't like to piss him off, right, but I don't think I am. Um, originally, it was an older guy, the, the brother who was left behind, who, who had um, learning difficulties, was an older yeah. man. Okay. And the one who'd gone away to the army was a younger man. Okay. The, the Paddy Considine part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, first of all, the guy who was playing, the brother who stayed behind, who was an actor, friend of Shane, he dropped out. So this was about 20, this is about 48 hours till we started the shoot. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. So um, Shane had sort of had dealings with this, um, he probably still has actually, he probably runs it now. The, the, there's a drama group in um, um, Nottingham 
which is where he, he was he was based at the time. Yeah. Um, and luckily for us, because he was he was sick of all the press following him and not being able to do anything in secret, he wanted everything to be under the radar for this film because he he just had a load of shite with it. Um, he brought out that film once upon a time in the Midlands, and he he'd had a he'd had a nightmare in Hollywood with the, the studio taking it off. It was the first time he'd worked for Americans, I think. The studio had took it off him, you know, like they did with June with David Lynch. They took the, yeah. film, took the film off and they do the edit and it's kind of, yeah. it's not the film he wanted to make and all that. So he, even though it's not that, it's not that bad a film, I don't think, Once Upon a Time in the Midlands, but he had a nightmare with it, I think. So Dead Man's Shoes, it's a revenge film, but it is was literally his revenge on the, um, yeah. on the film business, I think. Um, so we wanted to be under the radar. He had some money off Warp and some money off yeah. um, Channel 4. And, I, and it was all very low-key. And he could do what he wanted, basically. That's what he wanted. He wanted to yeah. be free. And that's how he still works today. You know, he's a real maverick. He'd, these poor uh, production companies just have to put up with him. Like. But um, he, he um, so this guy went. So he, he went to Nottingham. He pulled uh, Toby, Toby Kebble out of this drama group, literally, you know, and, and, and brought him to... Um, Matlock, where we were. This was within 48 hours of us shooting the film. So, we, you know, we talk about preparation and discipline, and Toby literally had to just come up with his character, like, you know, in a very short space of time. And, of yeah. course, he did a, a brilliant job. Um, so then we go to the guy who's playing Sonny, who's the, who was totally different to Stretch. He, he's um, This guy's a proper, proper Sheffield lad with a big wide head yeah, and yeah. broken nose. Yeah. And he's like when it says thee and thou and nat and art, thou and thou and yeah, and uh, great bloke, really great bloke, you know, really hard. Yeah, and um, and they decided that now they've got Toby, and this bloke kind of wasn't fitting in. Um, so we he got rid of him as well, not in a you know, not because he, there was anything wrong with him, but just because it wasn't working with the film, a bit like Harvey Keitel again with um, yeah. Apocalypse Now. Yeah, um, so we're suddenly thinking, Jesus, right? We thought we were making this film, and yeah. now two people have gone in the space of twenty-four hours. So any of us down the road, yeah. Um, so it certainly keeps you on your toes. So uh, we he flew, they flew Stretch in from Gary Stretch from LA, oh. and he suddenly turns up the day before. At this, we were all based in this um, scout hut in um, in Matlock Bath, Fuck Matlock. And he, he, he flew, he flew in, so it's not very strange to begin with. But what he does really is, he, you know, once you're, you get on set and then there's no crew for now, they've set up everything, the art department yeah. have been in, yeah. and he explains the scenario to you, you know, he explains who, who, everyone, you know, who everyone is. You've, done, you've been doing work on your character, he's put yeah. you in different scenarios, you've been doing a lot of hot seating, he's a big fan of that, which is a big drama school thing. Or a, what is a hot seating? Well... You'll ask someone to do a bit of research on a character and, and be and um, be the character and sit down on a chair and then everyone else will ask them questions about the character. There's a bit like therapy then. Um, well, in, as your character, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so your character gets therapy, basically, yeah. yeah. So um, it's good. Some people don't like doing it, but um, it's just one of these things. It's There's loads of different tools they can use just, yeah. to get, just to get into your character, and this is one of them. And he's a big fan of it, Shane. So we had us all doing like basically the you know the drama games, you know, we were doing a lot of that. He's very orientated by that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, which is why he's so good with actors. It's why his actors, actors in his films are always brilliant, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, he always has really good performances with people because that is kind of coming from that side of thing. Um, 
and he knows where to put the camera as well, of course. Yeah. So um, we we we've done a bit of that. So we not so we get onto the set and he'll there'll be no crew there at that point and he'll, he'll and we'll work it through. We'll just say right, you know, you come in. I think the first one we did was uh, I think it's where we. It's not where we're doing the, the, the Parmesan cheese. It's the one. Uh, it's the one before that. The kind of daytime one before yeah. that. Before Herbie, the character Herbie, goes out of the door, and before he sees the the character Tony, is he called the brother when he comes back? Before, so it's the daytime in the in the in the flat. Uh, I can't remember what happened. Oh, it's the alfresco thing. So that scene was the first thing we shot. Yeah. So um, we're not even met. I've not even seen Paddy at this point. I've not even met Paddy Considine. Um, so we, we, he says, right, you're in here now. Um, you're just chilling out. You're chilling out. Oh, that's it, that's it. So Herbie's character comes back and says he's met Anthony in the in the in the in the village. That's yeah. it. So that's the scene. So he's just he says, Oh, it's just you and him. You you know, you're messing about. Your mate comes back, says he's seen that that's it, done. That's the scene. Yeah. So then we start rolling and, we, of course, you're picking up props and you're messing about with stuff and you just start firing off stuff, like, you know. Yeah. And, it, you know, you, and you'll play for about 10 minutes. And, it will, you know, it would have just been me and um, um, uh, Paul, Paul Sado. It would have just been me and him to begin with. And you're pissing around. So there's these magazines. So I'm reading through these magazines and reading them out. You're just asking about, really, but you're doing it with a view to playing your character. Um, and then he'll stop, you know, and he'll say, right, Okay, I like this bit. I like that bit. Don't do that so much. Don't do this so much. Do that and do that. So you do it again. You run it again. So he's got it where he wants it, you know. Yeah. And then you'll bring the other guy in, and then you'll run. Or you'll run the whole thing. And then once he's happy with that, you've got to block it because you've got to. It's got to go on the camera, so you can't be standing in front of the camera and things like that. Although there was a lot of that going on on that shoot, but yeah. um, you can't. You know, he's got. It's got to be blocked, so it's not totally freestyle when you're yeah, yeah. shooting. But when you are on camera, you know, if you think of something good or another move or something, there is, you can do that. Whereas if you were with Mike, he cut, you know, he cut, he wouldn't want you to do anything. So, um, because Mike's painted a very particular picture, you know, where Shane's quite, Shane kind of revels in the the sort of slightly in the chaoticness of it. Um, And that's it. And you'll run it like that. And you, you know, and you just keep running until you're happy with them. So there were scenes where we'd go on and we'd, we'd do the impro. And we do it, and we do it, and we do it, and he just wouldn't be happy. And it's not because you, you're doing it wrong; it's just the vibe. He's not getting, you know, he's not. He can't get what he wants in the scene. So on times like that, he'd say, "Right, well, um, we're not going to shoot this now. We're going to drop it because we're not getting what we want. I think we should shoot it tomorrow, or we'll, you know, we'll, we'll maybe ever think about it and change the change the whole scene." So things like that were happening, which is unusual. You don't really get that on a shoot because people yeah. are up against time and money and they've had, yeah. you know, they're on this set. They've only got the location for so yeah. long. He's less concerned with that. He wants to get himself in a position where he can do exactly what he wants to be. So he's being truer to his vision and not more, not as constrained. And obviously yeah. this is a pain in the ass for people who are trying to organise it. Um, but, you know, good on him for for getting himself into that position as a director, because as you can see, the results that he gets are incredible, you know, aren't yeah. they? a lot of the time. I mean, his stuff's always good, but sometimes it's just amazing, isn't it? How, would you say you're a method actor? Yes, definitely, yeah. 
There's always I always need a little um um I always need a little sort of routine of who the person is. I always have to make him up out of little exercises, little thoughts, bits of music, bits of I've all yeah, I've always got my own little jiggery pokery going on in order to get into a character. There's no yeah, definitely, yeah, method acting. That's what yeah. I love. That's what I love watching, and that's what I, it's very misunderstood. You know, you don't have to. You can go to great bones about it, but I was always interested in that. And of course, when I worked with Mike, um, I mean, I think without method acting, you haven't got anything. You've just got a version of yourself which you don't really want. You use yourself. You use your own emotions and your yeah. own experience, but you've got to, you've got to make them work as this character. You yeah. know what I mean? That's the trick. Yeah. Um, after working with Mike, though, I mean, now I've got a very solid approach as well, which yeah. I, I kind of used a few different things before, but now I've got a very kind of tried and tested method, <laughs> which is brilliant because that's, you know, that's what I love doing. That, that When acting became method acting in the 50s, I think that's when it got... I mean, obviously, Stanislavski was dealing with that kind of thing. Yeah. We were talking about the 18, 1890s there. Yeah. Where, but Stanislavski would also break character you know Stanislavski's like it was like uh, watching an opera or even yeah. a, a, a jazz concert or something whereas he would play a part and if he was very good people would clap at the end of the scene yeah. you know and he'd bow he'd turn around and bow on the stage so he's not kind of he's not in the character in the same way that later method actors that, that came from sort of Lee Strasberg and stuff that's all about while you're at, while you're on camera while you're on set yeah you're in that character and, 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 and you operate as that character but what people misunderstand is that you you only do that in in certain um, pre um, pre agreed realms. Yeah. So, for instance, we might you'll put your costume on and you'll go into character and then you'll work and then you'll come out of character and you'll sit down. You don't. There's not. There's there's there's, there's a differential. You know, you're in character or you're out of character, and you've got to mark the difference. So, for instance, you wouldn't go into character and then go around town acting like the fella in a shop or a yeah. taxi, which is stuff like I have done before. And something or Shane would maybe have you doing that as well because his rules are different to Mike. Um, but it's a bit of a that's a bit of a misnomer because you're acting like yourself, acting in a character, acting in a situation. It doesn't yeah. work. You need, you need to. You need to be in your. Um, it can work well enough for you to do a decent performance. Yeah, but I think I think the proper method. You 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 um you have you have quite a strict boundary in you're in character and you're out character. However, yeah. you decide that is, yeah. you know, you don't kind of blur. You don't blur the lines, yeah. and that's very useful. It's been very useful learning about that, you know. And that's only it's only in the last five years, you know. Um, I, uh, I constantly get better. I like to think, you know, but I constantly learn things. It's why it's so good, this game, you know, you constantly pick stuff up. Some jobs don't require you to to do a lot of work, you know. Some jobs don't. Yeah. Um, because literally on some jobs, you, you're literally facilitating the story. You're going to walk into the screen and you're going to yeah. say, oh, I saw him yesterday, you know, he was on the bus and then walk off and that's it. You're not. You're only there to keep the story going for the main actors. Yeah. Um, but even so, I would always bring on this vibe of having 
of having constructed a real person. Like, you know, would always try and bring that vibe into the, in the see if it's just one scene, you know, because you, you're adding a note. It's like you're adding a note in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a song or in a jazz medley. I really yeah. equate a lot of things to jazz. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And then could I, could I ask you, I know you've talked about it a bit, but could I, one of the things I definitely wanted to ask you about was the difference between Shane Meadows and Mike Lee and their methods, you know? Yeah, well, I think Shane, um, the similar, the similar. So there's there's crossovers in the in the Venn diagrams of yeah. their work. There's definitely crossovers in the methods. Yeah. Mike is 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 is, is um, worked on his method um, for uh, about sixty years now or something. No, maybe not. He's only seventy, isn't he? Yeah, maybe fifty for fifty years. Yeah, he's worked on this method. He started off in theatre and he's worked through TV and into film and it. And he was very much part of the way drama's taught now in, in drama colleges. He's sort of down to his generation of um, directors, I think. Um, you know, all these kind of trust exercises and these these sort of quite strange-seeming exercises that you use to get to a part in a character. So Mike, Mike will do more... Mike will do more psychological work with you. He'll do... He'll do exercises that aren't to do with being in character, yeah. um, but they get you to a certain mindset so that then when you do go into character, this comes in with you. So he tries to establish sort of psychological um, uh, flags and a part along, along your journey so, so that you he really does build a character and he does it in a very theatrical way yeah. and he does it um, in, a, in, a, in a very methodical way. Yeah. And he'll take his time. He takes his time about it. Whereas Shane, he's going for a similar result, but he just he comes in in a in a bit more of a um, I don't want to say haphazard or ramshackle or anything like that because it sounds like he's he's a bit of a chance and he you know he's not he's, he's brilliant and he's, he's he's a genius in his field, but um, he'll do it in a more I don't know he's a bit more rock and roll I think I don't know whether that's the right yeah to you. but. Um, um, so there's a Mike's not Mike's a lot more strict, and there's a lot more kind of boundaries within what you when you work with Mike, being in character, being out of character. Um, you cannot deviate on on camera with Mike. This yeah. is the real tough part of it. When you go on set for the first time with him and you play a scene, that is the toughest thing I've ever gone through in in the, in the acting world. Whereas with Shane, it was more like an extension of the rehearsal, and you just kind of working up to this performance. And when he when you when he gets there, he'll film you. But whereas with Mike, you've 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 nailed down the performance in rehearsal, and when you, what you have to do is duplicate that exactly on camera without a script, and it is very very difficult. Um, it's a baptism of fire. You, you're opening up parts of your mind that you've not been using prior to that because. When you do TV and film, you have a thing called sides, a little script. Um, I probably shouldn't be giving away the secrets, but um, you have a little. You basically got your script on you all the time. So in between takes, you look, you can look at it and you can run it and stuff like that. And it's a real. I didn't realize until I worked with Mike and Shane what a safety net that is. What well, a crutch even and a, a crutch and a safety net. Um, so you've not got that. There's none of that, and it's particularly. 
um, daunting with Mike because you're having to reproduce something to the letter that you've just done the night before. Yeah. Same gestures, same phrasing, you know, everything has got to be the same. And you've no, you've no reference point. So it's really fucking hard. This is what I mean about being dragged into the premiership. So he he he's selected you because he's confident that you can get through that get through this because it's only the first couple of takes. Uh, sorry, the first couple of scenes that that are difficult. Once you've got into the, once you've opened up that part of your brain that while you're rehearsing, you're actually making these notes because you know you've got to reproduce it. But there's no other way of doing it other than just doing it for the first time. It's a baptism of fire, like yeah. I say. And he just patiently sits. There's a, there's a scene in Peterloo where um, Sam Bamford comes in uh, and, expl- and describes his trip to London in um, John Saxton's printing press. And that was the, the first scene. So while we were in rehearsal, um, the part the character I'm playing, Bamford, he's, he's a, um, they used to call him the spouter. He's a, a, yeah. he's a, a talker, he's loud, he's, he's, you know, he's funny, he, um, he, he commands the room. Um, so this is what I'm doing in rehearsal. And then, <laughs> and, then, and when I'm trying to reproduce it the next day, I'm thinking, Jesus, I wish I'd have kept my mouth shut. Yeah. Um, because you, you, you realise. So when you, that makes you, the, the next time you come to a rehearsal, then you realise that you've got to place things. You've got to be economical because everything you do has got to bend. It's going to, you're going to have to do it again exactly the same. So you're thinking, right, I can handle this. I'll say this. So it, it you're thinking in the rehearsal as well, and you think, and it makes you into this machine that, that is great. So once you can, once you get on top of that way of working without a script, without ever having anything written down, yeah. you start to, you really fall back on all this work. This is why he does all the work. You really fall back on this, and you just have to let that carry you through, and you start flying then. So you're in these scenes, and you, you're in the moment, and you, you really are in the moment as the character, and you... you um, I mean, obviously, you're only human. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not as you know. You're not as there, or you know. Number times you are, but for the most part, you're flying. Like the, the, there's a scene with Sam Bamford in that. I'm going on to um, a different film here, but there's a scene with uh, Henry Hunt and Sam Bamford where they have an argument about whether or not they should allow, allow weapons with the marches should carry weapons. And this was a real thing that happened in in in. This is an historical fact that this conversation took place. Um, and it's a very long scene, and emotionally, it's all over the bleeding place. Yeah. And there's it's an epic, it's kind of an epic confrontation, and only between two men, but it's proper, they're proper firing at each other. And I think it's a superb scene, me. You know, yeah. if I wasn't in it, I would, you know, I'd, watching it is fantastic. Uh, um, Rory Kinnear, you know, he's, he's very yeah. good in that part. And, yeah. and, um, if, if that scene would have been written down, it would have been totally different. It would have been daunting and you would have, you know, because it was such a big scene, it was all over the place. If we'd have had to rehearse that and play the lines, it just would have been a completely different scene. Yeah, It yeah. still might have been good, but yeah. it, 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 there's something about it f- sparking in the moment. He wants yeah. to capture that spark on the screen, yeah. but he knows where it is and where it's coming because he's put it in. Whereas with Shane, he's a little bit more like a wildlife photographer where he's looking for something to happen and he'll get it. And if he don't get it that time, he'll get it another time. Um, so none of these words are any good. Mike, I would say Mike's more methodical and Mike has kind of got the finished product before he shoots, whereas Shane's looking for it on, yeah. the, on the day more. Yeah. I, 
these, these are this my feelings on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, if, yeah, Shane's yeah. Listen, if Shane's listening to this or someone else, they might have an argument with it. I mean, maybe. But I'm um, only asking for your your yeah. your opinion. And it, as far as I'm concerned, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just what you. No, put- well, this is it. Yeah. I'd say, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, good. Well, he, 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 yeah, he, they're both looking for the same sort of results. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think Mike, Mike, Mike's a lot more methodical, I would say, than, than Shane is when it comes to building a character. Shane's really good with actors, but Mike goes right into the actor. He goes, I, you know, it come, every, everything in Mike's films comes from the actors, everything. And then, you know, the fact you've got the best art department and the best camera and the best sound in the world also adds to it as well, like, you know. Shane's again is the same, but I would say he's not. He, he like he like he wants to, he wants things to happen more spontaneously. Shane, I think, rather than be mapped out quite as meticulously. And do do you get a script with both of them? Either of them? No, you don't. Need, no, you don't see a written word with either of the actors. Oh, right. I mean, I don't think Shane ever has a script. Mike has a script because he's following the. He wants to make sure the scenes are same. So his assistant. Heather, I think she was called. Yeah. Who was like my, you know, when she calls you over, you know, you've made a mistake. And then when I was going, when I was struggling with the scene, you know, um, you know, you'd say you go into the scene in character and your character would say, well, I saw this fella the other night and she'll whisper in his ear and he'll say, cut. And you'll say, "Um, you didn't say fella yesterday. You said felly. That's an old way of saying it. And it's like, it's like, you know, when you try to tell a joke and people keep interrupting, you can't get to the end of the joke. It's, 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 it, all actors have a dream where they're going on stage or they're going on a set and they can't remember the lines. I don't know an actor that doesn't have that dream. And it's like, that's happening, but it's happening, it's happening in real life. Yeah. So it, 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 it's truly difficult. Your first couple of days on set with Mike, the, 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 the hardest hardest time I've spent in, in the game, you know, because uh, it's it, you, shit, shit or bust. No. And and we transition from that seamlessly to Dune, right? And ah. now, now, how different was that experience to those two experiences? Uh, and like a completely different world, both yeah, literally that, and metaphorically. Yeah, jumping from there to there. So yeah, well, so this is the other side of the coin. This is a big, a big production. I mean, Peter Lee was a big production, but this yeah. is a, a big Hollywood number, right? So. Yeah. Denis Villeneuve, of course, the director. Yeah. So, I mean, I, and to be honest, um, I'm a kind of, uh, I'm a, you know, it's a, it's a sing, it's one part, a walk on scene, right? So, and that's the film I've seen, so, you know, you know, so I know um, the part. Yeah, look, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so, I mean, it's an amazing film and I think they've done a really good job. But the, the so the, the difference here with this is you've no contact with anybody. Okay. I can go to Budapest where they film, and I've worked there before. Budapest, they do a lot of big, the big numbers over there, yeah. and it's a great, weird, mad city as well. But you, so you're there in a hotel in the blazing sunshine in Hungary, um, and you've no reference point. You've got a, you know, you've got like the second AD and that phoning you up. Hi, Neil. Right, we'll we'll be in touch when you're ready to come in filming, and that's it. There's no conversation about anything. You know, there's nothing. You've got a. You've got a script if you're lucky. Some jobs you don't even see the script because they're so mad on secrecy that they won't show you anything. But, um, you know, I had the script for this, so I've, at least I've got that. But only my scene I hasten to add. So I know my lines, 
there's only three of them. Um, yeah. And that's it. You've no, you, there's no reference point. So then you go in, you'll meet the costume department. And that, like, obviously it's this big department where they've spent a fortune on making it look a certain way. They, they show you all the, all the pictures and all these storyboards and everything. They get you into this amazing costume that's, um, you see, I, I, anything like that costumes props. They, they, they just, to me, they're just more work. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't need. But anyway, this, so, the, I mean, you've seen, you've seen it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It looks, it looks the business, you know. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So we're going. You're going in for your fitting. Absolutely fantastic. Go and meet. We'll go. You know, go and talk to costume. Okay, great. Absolutely great. And that's it. You come back, hotel. So then you're there. I mean, it was another week and a half. I mean, I'm having a lovely time in in Hungary. Great stuff. Can't complain. But in terms of the contrast, is is that. You know, I, I, with Shane and, and Mike, I know all the, the cast. We know we know each other inside out. Um, you know, we've we've had we've lived together, we've ate together, we've yeah. we've we've worked these scenes up, and we've we've worked on these characters. Um, and 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 you're part of it from day one. Whereas, I mean, even before that, you know, for five months before the shoot, you'll be working with Mike Lee. Yeah. So this is it. So you've never met anyone, and then suddenly you're on. You're there, you're on set, you parachuted into this fucking, um, you know, this, this, this huge uh, back lot of a, of, a, of a film studio with these enormous cranes with green screens <coughs> and these, you know, this huge production. Well, and all you've got really, all you're armed with is your three lines that you've learned, you know. Uh, it's, a, it's a very technical job. It's not. It's different for the the bigger the bigger the people with bigger roles in it, like the you know the ones playing the main parts. Obviously, they'd have had to work and establish relationships with other characters, like yeah. prior to the shoot. But for 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 me on that job, I was literally just dropped in. So it's all green screen. So there's 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 four huge green screens being held up by cranes because we're outside, you see, and it's blazing blazing sunshine so in the scene it's torrential rain and it's all dead gloomy and yeah, great yeah. um and there's these, these huge banks of armies yeah. in it well of course you know obviously we've got like half a dozen or maybe a dozen sarkadar uh me and the guy playing the um david oh i should know his bloody name dave he's great really nice man who plays the doctor yeah. um and okay okay let's Let's have a look at the scene. So they're going, oh, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. We've got a problem with the floor, you know. So you've got these floor. There's, 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 there's technicians there who only build floors, you know. There's like an army of people who only build floors. Oh. So the floors, you've got a huge rain machine, like as a roof above you being held by another crane. Yeah. And this is pissing out rain. And it's, it's film rain as well, so it's thicker. It's like a viscous liquid, so you can see it on camera. Oh, so it right. really, it really leathers you. So, um... The, the floor's moving, the floor's floating because it's caked in water, so they're having to do that. Very technical. Every time they, they cut, they have to stop to suffer a technical issue. You know, so there's a lot of stopping and starting in that respect. You know, you get one of the um, you get one of the scenes all the way through, um, and then they all go into the huddles. Each department then goes into its team huddle to say, all right, how are we going to make this work? We need to do this with the floor. Da, 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 da. And then eventually... Um, uh, Denis Villeneuve will come out with his shorts on, you know, and his sun hat, and he goes, um, he goes, yeah, it's okay, you know, he says, okay, do it a little bit more, 
you know, a little bit more arrogance we want there. Okay. And then, uh, but you know, it's great. Okay, great. So then he goes off. And then you just start the process of having to do the scene, but because it's so technical and because it's green screen and because we're outside, the sun is coming in at a certain angle. So every single take, when we cut, they have to move these cranes slightly to accommodate the angle of the sun. So obviously yeah. the sun's traveling over you. So they have to move the screen, they have to move the rain, they have to move, the, not the floor, but they have to move the people on the floor who are behind you. They have, they have everything has to go slightly. Yeah. So it's a massive technical job. It's not performance-led like the other two jobs that we're talking about. It's yeah. all to do with what's going to appear on the screen yeah. at the end. So all you, all I've got to do is get my lines right, yeah. <laughs> basically. Get my lines right in, because I'll be waiting then in a blazing heat. You know, I'll get underneath an umbrella. I've got two people constantly with me, one to do the costume um, and one to keep all the makeup and shit going on. Yeah, and I've got a big production. You've constantly got people going. Do you want this? Do you want that? Are you okay? So you've got all that world of acting, which you don't really get on a Mike Lee thing. On a British, British actor, you get a tin of biscuits and a tea urn. You know, whereas yeah. on, 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 a, on these bigger shoots, you know, you've got a craft table and you've got all this. Yeah. People are offering you things, yeah. um, and you, at first you're going, "No, I'm all right. I'm all right." You know, because I don't want to be chewing at it. And then after a while, you just think, yeah, go on, get us a bagel and a, you know, and a latte. Yeah. And so you end up going on set, picking this stuff out of your teeth, <laughs> uh, which is what I've been trying to avoid, you know. But, um, you know, and then after after maybe half an hour, uh, right, we're on, we're on, we're ready to go. So you're up again, you're same, same three lines, same thing and again, back, back, more issues, more, da, 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 move around again. And I mean, we, we, took, we took a full day on that. So you're talking about 11 hours. We, we, we shot that scene, which is only a two-hander. Yeah. You know, and there's all there's literally six lines in it yeah. for, um, for, for for 11 hours. Mm. You know, so that it's the other side of the coin. You're part of a huge technical machine there um, where you're the last kind of thing they have to worry about. So as long as you just get your bit right, then, every, you know, every, every, the director, God bless him, I mean, he's, he's great, and he? he's, he's made some stunning films. Mm. Um but he's he's got a million things on his mind, you know. He's thinking about he's thinking about the green screen. He's thinking about that, you know. He he can see that he's, they're going to have these uh, um, ships hovering above you at the end, and it's going to be this, and then it's got to fit in with what he's got in his head and on these storyboards. So I'm not really in that scene, you know. I've I can't see the spaceships or the or, yeah. the, or the legions of armies. I can't hear the Sarkadar droning, and uh, you know, yeah. I can't hear any of it. Um, so it's a funny way of working, like you know, um, it, 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 it's it's a, it's it, it is the literally the opposite the opposite side of the thing. It's yeah. where they, there's not a lot of method going on. I did I mottled you know I mottled my character together as I would with any other job, um, but you can you kind of you're at the mercy of all the other technical issues on a job like that. Yeah. Just another way of working, like you know, but it's a different type of job. So you're right to. You know, you're right to bring it up as a contrast. Like. That's why I, that's why I wanted to do it, wanted to get to the bottom of, you know. It's like, because people out there don't really see that side of it and, like, don't really yeah. see that there's that massive contrast to the many different ways of working. Yeah, and I know. What, what I wanted to tra transition to to finish off is that yeah. how would you get all that together and... and uh, Incorporate that into what you do and your work. Because haven't you directed 
They are pieces and don't other bits yes. and bobs. So how yeah. did you get get all of what you've learned and transpose that into your work and your creativity? I love it, yeah. Directing, I absolutely love theatre directing. I'm not sure I would enjoy TV and film as much because of the tech, because, you know, suddenly you're not dealing with actors so much, you're dealing with cameras and things. Yeah. But, yeah, um, um, I really do like theatre directing. I want to do some more of it as soon as I can because um, you look at you, you try to, like this sparkle, you try to create that crackle in the room. And there's so many roads into doing that. You can some some people, some actors, they can walk on a stage like you say the you know, the the George Best, where you've just got this innate talent, and it doesn't matter yeah. what you do wrong, you've you've got this amazing sort of charisma and spark. Yeah. And so fair enough, if, if if that's what an actor's like, then you use that. That's brilliant. But really, it's a team game, you know, and and you it is like going out as a as a as a as a, as a, as a football squad or a sporting squad every night on stage. Yeah. I love I love that aspect of theatre. Or a jazz band. Uh, or a jazz band, exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You, yeah, exactly. You're hitting you're hitting bum notes, you're hitting good notes, you know. Yeah. Uh, and you and as a director watching you hear these bum notes, you know, and, and everyone on yeah. stage does as well, but the yeah. audience don't necessarily uh, notice them. Yeah. Um but yeah, you, you you put it all in, you throw everything at it, you do whatever it takes. You know, sometimes it requires um a, a sort of abstract work together with a team to try and build up this kind of rapport or build up the characters before you actually go into the text. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, sometimes you don't, you, 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 um, you want to see it happen. You know, sometimes you just, it comes from the text, but yeah, you throw everything at it. That's what's so good about it. You, you know, Mike and Shane, um, they go along a certain path that they've trodden and that, that gets them to where they want to be. And they've got this style. Um, whereas I just think everything is there, the, the tools, everything is, is grist to the mill. And if this thing doesn't work, you can use this, you know. So you can try and do sort of more abstract character work to get someone into a character. Or maybe you don't need to do that. Maybe you're just looking at the timing of the delivery. Maybe yeah. you'll spend a whole session in a rehearsal just looking at how something is delivered and the yeah. speed of how it's delivered, you know. We've done that before. I was really proud of a, of a piece that I did called um, Old Ground because it was a big piece and we didn't have a lot of money behind us and it was a really tough subject about the um, the Moors murders when they reopened the case in the 80s. It was about that. Um, and it was great, you know, and the, the, the people who I was working with were great actors and were, a lot of it was about delivery at the end of the day, of making it. So it was like in a musical piece um, and the beat, and it was—you never know how it's going to, what, 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 you know, what's going to be your biggest concern when you start a job like that. But it did become about the rhythm, and it just became about the rhythm, and because it was going from one side where he was in a cell, um, Brady, and it went to the other side where she was in a cell because they were both in prison in different prisons in the eighties. Yeah, and I think she came out first to say she knew where some of these poor kids were buried, yeah. and then he started jumping on the bandwagon a bit. And so, and, and there was a bit of backwards and forwards. So we set it out like that on two sides. And then what was happening in the middle was the kind of people who were caught in the middle. Um, and it was, it really became about the rhythm, became about the timing. So that became the concern. Like, you know, it's funny how, where, where it lies, you know, it's funny. It's, it's good because you start from nothing and, and you start to build it and um, you throw anything in. 
anything you can think of that'll get you to where you want to go, you know. Yeah, so you think uh, theatre acting is theatre directing is where you would like your work to culminate? You think you would? Uh, def- definitely not culminate. No, I think it's all part of the same tree. You okay. know, acting acting is kind of the the roots of it all for me. It comes from acting. It comes from an appreciation of acting and 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 being involved in in the practice of it. Yeah. The directing um, and the um, the well, any writing that I do as well, it comes from the idea of it being performed by um, by an actor. So yeah. I, I I don't think it's a. I'm not saying like I would like to end. You know, I'd like to sort of graduate into being a director because I wouldn't see it. You know, it's all part of the same thing. Yeah. It's all part of the same thing. So, if, you know, if someone offered me a directing job in a theatre, I'd be elated as as I would be if I was offered an acting job. You know what I mean? It's the same. Yeah, yeah. It's the same yeah. deal. I think acting's really the, the the big love of my life. And so. Just before we finish, could I ask you, like, to do sum up for me what what you think the difference between theatre acting, TV acting, and film acting? Is there any major differences or not? Yeah. Um, the, yeah. The, it's, obviously, at theatre acting, you're going out every night. And yeah. it's like uh, every night you're on stage for whatever, an hour, two hours. Yeah. And you've got to do it every night. And it changes every night. And it changes with the audience, you know, and it'll change over the space of the week and and every time's going to be different but like again like play, going out and playing music in a band or going out and playing a game of football um the the performance physical the physical performance uh, obviously you you're bigger and and you're um you're you, you're having intimate scenes but you've got to they've got to be able to hear you at the back so there's, there's techniques that you're employing in theatre that you're not going to be using on on camera yeah. Um. Uh, uh, on, on film is similar to theatre in that it's quite a big canvas, but obviously you're just looking for that one take that's going to define the film that, that that you get to. Yeah. So I've not seen um, boiling point, but that's all done in one take, I believe. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um. So that to me and to the actors involved, I would imagine he's more like a play. Yeah. Um, so it's mad because you, if you do a lot of theatre, uh, sorry, if you do a lot of TV, if yeah. you do TV for about five years, never go near a theatre, and you get a theatre job and you, yeah. you're shitting yourself, you know, because you suddenly, you, you know, you'd, you, you've only got to learn what you're doing. You're doing one scene, you're doing like three or four scenes a day on a TV job. Each scene, you know, you'll spend maybe half a day or maybe a full day, depending on who you're working with. But um, that could only, could only be six pages or something. But suddenly, that's your world. Those six pages are everything. And it seems, you know, that that it expands to fill the job. Those Whereas on theatre, you're looking at a book of work, and you know you're on you know you're on stage for an hour. There's no cut. Yeah. You know, there's nowhere to hide. So it's actually it's terrifying when you go from TV to theatre like that. You're terrified. Yeah. Um, and then you go back into you, you know, then you get you get on top of that and you become a theatre actor again. So you've got a every night you, you you've got to hit a certain level every night and it becomes more of a physical sort of task. Yeah. Then when you go back to TV, you're too big. You 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 go, you know, you're doing auditions or something for a job and you're too big, you're talking too much, you yeah. your face is 
your face is too expressive. You've got to bring it down. You've got to bring yeah, it into yeah. the camera again. So it's it's, it's not the, the the commitment, the, the being in character isn't different between theatre and TV. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't do any work, any psychological work that's different. I don't anyway. Um, that changes how you how you uh, understand your your role of the person that you're playing. It's a technical difference, you know. I would say that. I would yeah, say yeah. it's a technical difference, and also and a, and, and a physically, the, the demands on your body are different. Yeah. <coughs> so, uh, do, I suppose we better let you go now because your phone's been ringing off the hook. So the phone's been ringing, and my dog's starting to look like she might want feeding as well. And, uh, yeah. So, is there anything you'd like to say before we end the recording? Oh, I've absolutely thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, thanks very much. And um, if anyone is listening who's thinking about acting or um, has got an interest in anything, then uh, I hope this has been interesting for you because, um, yeah, when I was getting into it, it was few and f things like this were few and far between that I could relate to. You know, it seemed it seemed like an impossible thing to to uh, to become a professional actor so if it's helped in that way but also hit me up i'm on twitter you know um you can um it, you know if, if anyone wanted to have a conversation a bit further about it then we can do that as well okay thank you from the bottom of my heart neil and uh oh we'll see you again take care thank you very much shabazz cheers mate bye-bye <laughs>